Hi, this is Dan Miller. Hey, remember, we're going to be doing a special segment on raising creative children on November 20th. So send me your notes, send me your ideas, all the tips you've used to raise creative or entrepreneurial kids. Just send those notes to kids at 48days.com. And again, Joanna and I'll be doing a special theme podcast for the November 20th episode. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, our sponsor today is Harry's. You hear me talk about our friends at Harry's Razors. I use it. Yep, recommend it. We just had an event here, Coaching with Excellence, and I, I, I think about half of the guys that were here say they are using Harry's now. So delighted to be a part of that. You can go to harrys.com, use 48 days as a code to get five bucks off your first purchase. Well, our theme is going to be, if no one will hire you, do this. We'll talk about that. Got somebody who's struggling, been out of work for a while. We're going to talk about some simple steps to at least get in the game. Here's some other questions we'll be looking at. Dan, fear and doubt have taken a seat next to me and are holding on like a jealous girlfriend. That's a pretty clear picture. Fear and doubt are hanging on like a jealous girlfriend. Um, how do I lift sales of my book to a significant level? What's the best way to approach someone for a book endorsement? I'll tell you. Dan, how can I buy a Tesla without feeling guilty? Well, I hope I have time to get to that one. Eager to talk about that. How do you buy a really cool car without feeling guilty? And someone says, Dan, I want to switch to selling real estate, but I don't know how to sell. Easy to correct that. You can learn selling. We'll talk about how to do that. Well, our quotation comes from Albert Einstein who said, imagination is more important than knowledge. All right. And we got a resource Going every week, we got something for you. Right now, if you go to 48days.com slash Mondays, you're going to get some pieces of information. You're going to get a checklist from me right out of the gate. Five-step process for change. How do you approach change? And I go right through the process that Joanne and I have been using for many, many years. I talk about it in 48 days to the work you love, but just tech or just you don't even need need to text just uh, go to 48days.com slash Mondays and you'll get that resource to help you get started well let me talk about Harry's a little bit here let's see I need to get to that so I can tell you about this latest installment in the saga from the guy who from Australia who wants to be Adam from Australia who wants to be a distributor for Harry's in Australia I think that's pretty cool well you hear me talk about Harry's just the shaving experience that I have. They're smooth. Um, you know, one of my big fears, I'm getting ready to go on a little trip just as I record this. And one of my fears is always opening my overnight bag and not having my Harry's razor in there. So what I've done, I just get multiples. I just get multiples. So no matter what I have, I've, I've got it in suitcases, my overnight bag, and certainly in the medicine cabinet, one back here at the sanctuary. So I'm never with, caught without Harry's to do my shaving in the morning. Can't imagine starting the day with some cheap thing that I pick up at the drugstore. Nah, just get a Harry's. 
Well, this comes from Adam. I'll just give you his piece here. He says, as stated in my original email, the ongoing sponsorship that the 48 Days podcast receives from Harry's Razor has been a point of interest to me for a while. Ever since I first listened to you describe the experience of shaving with Harry's products, I've been enthralled by the concept of Harry's shaving system. Um, You know, I gave me an update to that. There's another piece to that. Let me see if I've got that here as well. Okay, I don't have it right here. Anyway, Adam goes on to say that he would love to be the distributor for Harry's in Australia. Uh, I hope that Harry's might find the research that I've done regarding the Australian market for shaving, which interestingly enough is pretty much identical to the U.S. And then he says again, would it be possible for you to refer me to one of your mates at Harry's? I've pretty, I have a pretty solid method to help Harry's distribute here so that the men of Australia too can enjoy the experience of a shaving with a system that respects your face and your wallet. Well, I have done exactly that. I have forwarded your story on to Harry's and be delighted for you to get connected with them, Adam. So I sent that to Allie who's at Harry's and I'm sure you'll be hearing from Allie. Well, let me give you just a couple short, short success stories here. This comes from Aaron Torrio who said he's, uh, I just wanted to share my success story. Now listen to this. You know, sometimes I like to give success stories that are not where somebody's making a million dollars. You know, sometimes I know those seem pretty hard to get your head around, I think, and you just dismiss it. So I want the ones that give people a little bit of traction as well. We've got some of those today. But Aaron says, I just wanted to share my success story. I've been a silent member of the 48days.net community for about six months. I live near Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I heard the infamous podcast interview that Ron Lauterbach did with Dan Miller at just the right time in my life. Now that's a, that's an interview you can find in the 48 days.net archives of the Tuesday night brainstorming sessions that we did. So I did an interview with Ron talking about selling on Amazon and, um, Aaron continues. I took out an extra job to help pay down the bills. He was going through the total money makeover challenge to become debt free He had recently begun researching ways to become self-employed online. Long story short, I took a $20 bill from the ATM in March of 2015 and turned it into $2,000 in inventory and cash on hand as of August 2015 just by buying stuff and selling it online. I've done this very part-time as I have two jobs, four kids. My wife also works full-time. But now that I know this works, I'm ramping up to replace the income from my second job by the end of September so that I can quit that job and concentrate on doubling my income by May 2016. I want to encourage people who are coming on this site looking for ways to make extra money online to just do it. It works. I'm going to be starting a blog soon to encourage people like me who have never had enough time and money in a month and are looking for a better way to live. I'm also working on a how-to book that will explain exactly how to make extra cash fast by selling online. I have a three-question survey that I would like to share uh, on here to give me a clear understanding about what people want to know most about making money online. They can find it here. Now, it gives the URL, and it's a very long URL that it's difficult to give audio here. So just go find Aaron Torrio on 48days.net, find his discussion there, and then do his survey. But you can get started. Hey, turn in $20 into 2000 Yeah, hey, I'll go for that every time. You know, I, I love the things that people are doing online. 
mean, I've never been that active buying and selling online. Of course, we do. You know, our 48 days store, everything is online there. So there's that. But in terms of buying things and reselling them, I've done a lot of that over the years. My area of specialty has always been cars. But I can go to a repo auction, you know, buy a car, make sure it's sound mechanically, freshen it up a little bit, park it in the front yard, make a thousand bucks. I mean, that, that's what I did for years as a backup plan when I was starting other kind of businesses. I'd always revert back to that as my default position where I knew I could buy and sell a couple of cars in a month and at least make, you know, two, three, four thousand $4,000 doing that. Well, find something that you enjoy, find something you understand. Don't try to do cars. If you don't know how to, you know, release the hood on a car, but find something you enjoy. And there's a whole lot of ways you can duplicate exactly what Aaron is talking about there. Well, let's, man, let's just bring this in here real quick. I'm going to move right into the questions here. We're going to play this little piece about being a champion, though. Love hearing those stories. Love hearing your stories. You got a success story? Go to the 48days.com site. Click on Ask Dan. You can submit it there. Or you can, of course, just shoot an email to me directly at askdan at 48days.com. All right, let me bring that down here. We'll go on, move right into the questions here. Got a lot I want to get into today. Now, this is a discussion. This was posted on 48days.net. Jen McDonald alerted me to it. She keeps me informed about what's going on over there in that community. Over 15,000 people now. No cost to be involved, but it's a great place to share ideas, get encouragement, and figure out how to elevate your own success. So Sam Espinosa says, I can't believe it's been more than a year since I joined. Time has flown by faster than the blink of an eye. I lost my job December 16th, 2014. Now this is September as I'm recording this. That's a very long time to be out of work. Sam says, I've interviewed and interviewed and interviewed. I've sent countless resumes, met managers, have spoken to them about obtaining work. And well, even the surest thing didn't pan out. I'm attempting to open my private practice. Incidentally, he says, I'm a mental health therapist by profession. I've been doing that for 15 years, but I've always wanted to own a bakery since I was 18 years old. I'm now 45. So he goes on. Um, I'm attempting to open my private practice and a baking business. However, without income, it's been difficult. I was about set to start selling at the farmer's market, but without the money I needed for materials and permits, I can't even do that. I can't, or at least I'm not sure qualified for a business loan. I don't want to go that route anyway, especially for something as small as the farmer's market. I'm starting to see a client tomorrow finally, but it's only one. I don't know when, but my car is going to be repossessed. I see the frustration building and that has kept my creativity down much like when I was trapped in the nine to five paycheck. Any ideas? If you're in doubt of taking a seat next to me and are holding on like a jealous girlfriend. Jeez, that sounds horrible. That sounds really bad now that I think about it. Well, Sam has gotten a whole lot of input on 48days.net. You can go there and read all the things. Annie Contour, you know, said, gee, I hear you need income pronto. Have you tried taking a stopgap job like delivering papers, working retail, yard work, substitute teaching? Heck, I even gave plasma for months when things were bleakest. You know, those all allow flexible hours while getting a paycheck, letting you still hustle for work that you really want to do. And goes on, he replied to that. Um, more information from Ofer, who also said, we opened a home base bakery from our house. 
and the initial investment was at less than $1,000. $500 covered self-serve course, getting their LLC setting up, set up. Uh, they got their permits. We got clients from our circle of friends and all sorts of forms. My wife joined online with people in the area. We didn't buy any special equipment, no industrial oven, for example. Whatever we needed, just the small stuff, we were able to cover in that initial $1,000 from our revenue. And he replied to that, and it goes on. Jen talks about how frustrating this must be. Now, that's a very long time to be out of work. But there are some keys in there that we want to pay attention to. And Sam, I know that you're discouraged and frustrated and feel like fear and doubt are hanging on to you like that jealous girlfriend you talk about. Well, you got to break the cycle. Now, if you've been on three or four interviews, actual interviews, and have not gotten a job, something's wrong. It's not the economy. It's not that nobody's hiring. You need to take a good look at that guy in the mirror and say, why don't people want me on their team? Now, to just give yourself some experience in this, I mean, you, you can't walk past a Home Depot or a Lowe's or a Target or a Walmart or places like that. But what they say, we're hiring. I mean, if you go with me and we scoot into Franklin, Tennessee right here, we're going to pass 20 places that have signs out hiring now. And I've observed people. I've specifically sat and watched as people just walk in three minutes later, have a job and start tomorrow. Now, these aren't $100,000 a year jobs, obviously, but they're $10, $15 an hour jobs. And to just get a little bit of success under your belt, I would encourage you to do that. So if you get a $10 an hour job and you're working 20 hours a week, I mean, just do something to break this cycle of losing. But there's something going on if you're making this many approaches and nobody is giving you an opportunity for anything. Ask yourself the hard questions. What is it that people see in me that they don't like? Do they don't, do they not trust me? Do they not like me? Am I too negative in my talk? Am I not clear about what value I bring to the table? I mean, ask those questions, ask other people around you to help you with that information as well. I mean, get the feedback like that. And I, I just recently had some things to do right here on our property. You know, we got 10 acres with some trails and trees and lots of things growing. And I just needed some general cleanup. When my trails cleaned up, there's one trail through the woods that my grandkids created a couple years ago and it's grown over. I wanted it cut open, new mulch put down, just those kind of things. Well, I talked to a couple friends. Turns out I ran into a couple young guys who are in a halfway house right now, just coming out of a drug rehab program. And I said, man, you guys want to work for a couple of days? I said, sure. I paid them 15 bucks an hour. They came out, worked for me, worked for two days. We had a lot of fun. You know, I worked with them part of the time. We went to lunch together, but uh, paid them 15 bucks an hour. Now, so they had no credentials, no work experience. It didn't matter. No, they did, but it didn't have any relevance to what we were doing because it was so simple. But I paid them 15 bucks an hour, eight hours. What is that? That's $120. So in two days, they each made 240 bucks. I paid them $440. And, you know, just that simple kind of exchange for just simple work. But you got to do something just to get in the game to break this cycle of losing and feeling like there's no opportunity out there. Now, it's kind of interesting to me that you, you want to start a bakery and you're a mental health specialist and you got a client. I mean, the, the, those don't seem to be connected real clear clearly 
And I think that would be something I would recommend as well. Get clear about what it is you want to do, create a clear focus and then develop in that area. Don't just be a generalist. Don't be out there just looking for anything. Decide what it is you do well. I mean, if you want to have your own bakery, then one of the great things you could do is go work in a bakery, learn on their nickel. Even you may get access after hours to their kitchen to experiment with your own products. I mean, get in the game, but in a focused way, not just hoping something shows up. Well, let me get off my high horse here. We'll move on. A couple of really good blogs on the 48days.net community. One is posted by my daughter, Ashley Logston. Keep yourself in the balance. She talks in that about that really cool place about stretching so far, like in her yoga practice, she uses that as an example, but stretching so far that you almost lose your balance, but then trying to hold that position, hold it. I love that feeling, you know, where, you know, you've gone a little farther than you ever gone before, but just short of just falling over and crashing. And as Steve Wright, the comedian talks about you know, that feeling when you lean back in a chair and all of a sudden you realize you're, you've leaned too far, you're going to fall. He said he lives his whole life just in that space, that feeling that you're just ready to fall over. But Ashley's got a great ball gun that keep yourself in the balance. Ed Cole has a question. Says Dan, I love your podcast. I just started listening again after taking a few years off. Taking a few years off. Why would you take a few years off? Boy, that's interesting. Not sure what happened there, but uh, anyway, welcome back, Ed. Ed says I have a new, an idea for a new nonfiction book that would likely have millennials as its target audience, and already have most of the book outlined. I know this generation thinks and absorbs information much differently than mine, being a Gen Xer. Can you recommend a writing style that might be more conducive to attracting this audience? Are short blog like entries better than longer form writing? I'm thinking of how Seth Godin typically organizes his books. Any other writing suggestions you might have toward this audience would be appreciated. Well, yeah, you can look at who your target audience is and how they're likely to absorb information, but don't narrow that down too much. And in the process, make sure you keep your own authentic voice as well. Don't try to change your writing style just based on your audience. You're going to get in trouble there. Some people have tried to use like manga. That's that. Uh, it's actually a Chinese comic form. But in using comics for their books rather than just writing out in normal text. That's a pretty challenging swing to do that. Now, you mentioned Seth Godin. Yeah, Seth Godin's books, primarily the, the most recent ones he's got out there, usually 60, 70 pages. So that's a big change from the old traditional 240-page book. Do millennials like those short books more? Yeah, and really, everybody seems to. I mean, that's a real good move. Make it short. You can use blogs. My, my last book with Thomas Nelson, Wisdom Meets Passion, that I did with my son, Jared, yeah, that was just a compilation of blogs. So you can open it at any point and you don't have to read an entire 20 page chapter to get the idea. You're going to get the full contact of that point that's being made right there in the two pages that you're seeing or any, you know, maybe flip one page, but you know, right there in a very short, succinct kind of way. So you can do that, but don't change your natural writing style too much. Trying to make it something that's just attuned to a particular audience. You lose your authenticity in the process and that that's not going to work too well. Hey, got another um, writing question here. This comes from Grant. 
who says a friend of mine recently introduced me to your website. I've been listening with interest since then. I'm currently working as a flight attendant for British Airways. I discovered a passion for writing a few years back and it's transformed my time and my down route. Writing is not an easy task, but I feel drawn toward it. And when I'm writing well, I'm transported into another world. My passion would be to become a full full-time writer and be in charge of my own destiny. I've had passion or had reasonable sales of my debut novel entitled the shamanic prophecy to date and received favorable reviews. I've tried many self-promotion avenues, but nothing seems to have lifted my sales to a significant level yet. So my simple question is, does it all come down to luck or am I missing a trick? Well, it's not luck grant, but I'll have to admit Trying to make money from fiction writing is a very challenging task. Now, I write in nonfiction, you know, self-help. That's the easiest area in which to make money from writing. Next would be fiction. And next would be children's books. And most difficult of all would be poetry. I mean, you can kind of move through those things. So with what you're doing, yeah, it's very challenging. With what I do, with writing in the nonfiction self-help arena, I don't expect to make money from my writing at all. Now, that may sound really strange for, you know, New York Times bestselling author. Well, but the deal is my writing leads people to other things in my business where they do pay significant money. So my writing is just simply like a business card to get it out there that draws people into the 48 days community where then they sign up for our live events, for coaching, for coaching mastery, for mastermind, for all the other products that we have, those kind of things. That's where I make my money. Even with the success of my books, if I tried to live on what I make from book advances and royalties, we would not be living the kind of life that we're living. And we're an extravagant. I'm not implying that, but we wouldn't be living where we're living. We wouldn't be driving the kind of vehicles we drive. We wouldn't go into trips we drive. I mean, we would really be eking out an existence because those royalty checks are really, really small, relatively speaking. I don't know of a way to tell you how you can rocket your success enough with fiction to ever expect to make a full-time living from that. Now, can you follow your writing and do other kinds of things? Yeah, we, we just had a Coaching with Excellence event here. And as showing them how to leverage your intellectual property, showing them what you know, how to leverage that, I showed them a lot of the magazines that I've been in over the last few years. So lots and lots of magazines, AARP, you know, New Man Magazine, of course, Christianity Today, Charles Stanley's In Touch, a lot of denominational magazines, but then also other ones like Health today, you know, lot, lots of magazines, those don't provide income directly, but they keep my funnel full because those are all leading people back to 48 days where they then get involved with other things. That's the way to make money from writing. I am not a good coach in the fiction arena for writing because I don't, I have no idea. I mean, it does look a lot like luck if you're going to be the next, you know, John Grisham or Danielle Steele or somebody like that, that's just writing fiction. That's a, that's more than a needle on a haystack. Can it happen? Yeah, obviously, you know, look at the Harry Potter series and things like that, but 
it's so rare. I don't think there's a proven process to get there. Well, man, that may not sound very encouraging. I want to encourage writers always, but uh, boy, that's just a way that I'm just not sure how to make that happen. Well, hey, let me introduce a little transition here to clear my mind as I switch gears back to really helping somebody. I feel like that was a whole lot of help, but I want to be realistic at the same time. And I think that's a really long shot to make money from fiction. Well, if you got a question, you're hearing questions here from real life people just like you. If you got a question, just go to the 48days.com site. Click on Ask Dan. You'll see a little red starburst come up there. You can shoot your question in there or just make a note to send it to askdan at 48days.com. Carolyn says, Dan, I have an acquaintance who has shared with me that she would like to create a new dental product that was inspired by assisting a dental patient who was a quadriplegic. She's considering working with Edison Nation for development of the product. Is this a company with which you are familiar or would recommend? Would you please tell me the steps you would recommend for her to take in order to proceed with this project? She's just had the idea and would like to get information on what would be involved. Okay, so she's creating a new dental product. This is a dicey area, the invention developing arena. There's a whole lot of companies out there that want to help you develop your product, but will not ultimately be your friend. I mean, the horror stories out there are just limitless of these invention help companies who you send your product to them. They say, Oh my gosh, this is the best thing we've ever seen since peanut butter. Yeah. My, we've already got companies standing in line for this. Now we need to do a trademark. We need to do a patent. So, you know, $2,500, just send us that. We'll get that in place. You send the money in. Then they say, wow, now we really need to do a marketing plan. Again, we got companies that just think this is the greatest thing they've ever seen. Uh, to do this marketing plan really correctly, you know, it's going to be $6,000. Just let's get that out of the way and we'll move on. And that's the way they do again and again and again and again. And it's just more and more money and never leads to anything. Now, that's really a broad generalization, but it, it largely is true. Are there companies out there that really help you? Yes, there are. There, there's even universities like Wisconsin University. University of Wisconsin has a program that they take you through that really evaluates the marketability of your product. There's no cost, but you're not likely to get money from that. They'll just help you decide, is it worth pursuing? Now, there's a company that I used to promote a lot, and it's called Quirky. And they, I really had a lot of confidence in them. I loved their model. They used kind of a crowdsourcing process for deciding, is this a product that we want to really move through? They would tap people on the shoulder who had expertise in the different areas. Like if you needed a prototype in plastic or metal, they'd have somebody that could do that. If you needed connections to contact Macy's or Dillard's as a potential outlet for your product, they could do that. You know, they had marketing people to help drop the marketing plans. However, they're in big trouble. They're out of money. I mean, it, it's not an arena where people typically make a lot of money. I mean, I know people once in a while, about once a year, I go to the Inventors Association meeting here in Nashville. I love to go. It's on a Saturday morning, which I don't particularly care for. But anyway, there's people in there who have 20 patents. 
you know, and these are the guys with, you know, the black horn rim glasses and the unpolished shoes and the pocket protector and 20 pens in their pocket. And they've got, you know, patents, but they have never figured out how to make money. Now, believe me, protecting an idea doesn't make anybody any money, only selling it. I've done very little to protect ideas, but I've done a whole lot in the sales arena because that's where money is made. Now you ask about Edison nation. Yeah. It's another one that's kind of taken up the space where Quir- quirky was. And really I like the model they're being promoted with PBS and they've got some really big, strong corporate partners. So at this point, yeah, I think it's a cool thing to do, but always just be cautious. Remember you have to stay in the driver's seat. Check out the information at inventorfraud.com. You can go there and it'll give you some guidelines for the things to, to look for. I'm not one to be negative or suspicious or paranoid, but in this inventor space, it merits being pretty cautious. Ultimately it comes down to you, or in this case, Carolyn, your friend, if she can create a prototype, just create a prototype. I mean, I, I had a, a young client years ago who was a weightlifter and he said, Dan, I've invented this glove. That's really a much better weightlifting glove than what's available. How can I get Nike or Reebok or somebody to, you know, license that and give me a whole lot of money. And I said, you probably can't. I mean, how many ideas do you think they have presented to them? Just go ahead and do it yourself. Get a rough prototype of what you are talking about and then go to health and fitness centers and get orders for those. Well, he did everywhere he went. They loved it. I mean, he got like 10,000 orders. Then he went to some of the big names and got a very lucrative licensing agreement. So the best thing is to get in the game yourself. Even if it's with a rough prototype, prove that there's a market for it, get orders for it. Then you can partner with, in this case, a dental company or somebody that may already have influence in that arena. Melanie says, I've heard you say you've written book review request before on your podcast. Yes, I do. Every Monday afternoon is blocked out for doing book endorsements and forwards. Melanie says, I'd love to have a preface written for the front of an ebook from someone in my industry on mom parenting. I have a few ideas in mind of whom, what's the best way to approach them as I know time is precious and they'll be rightfully choosy to what they put their name on. If not a preface, then maybe a review. All right. Well, Melanie, you've got some terms here that we need to clarify. I mean, a review would be after the book is already out. That means it's already out and review like on Amazon or some online site. That's one thing. An endorsement is done before the book comes out and can go on the cover or on a couple pages on the inside front. You know, typically that's where it is. That means that you have somebody who has credibility, who you want just a little, yeah, one or two sentences from that talks about why this book is valuable, why it's distinctive in the marketplace. I mean, that's an endorsement. A preface is written by the author, not somebody else. A preface is written by the author where it just says, you know, this is kind of what you can expect. This is what's going to come. It's an introduction to the book, you know, by that book's author. Now an introduction, 
that, that's a little bit different as well. Sometimes an author can write an introduction that can be written by somebody else, but usually an introduction is written by the author as well. A foreword and even a short something for an ebook, it, it still is a foreword that is written by somebody notable, somebody credible that you want to have their name associated with your book. So we've got the preface, the introduction, the foreword, the review, the endorsements. Those are all different terms. Just make sure you really understand the terms clearly and are asking for the right thing. You know, what one thing that just blows my mind is when I get a request for a book forward from somebody and they're asking me for a F-O-R-W-A-R-D, which obviously spells forward, but that is not a book forward. That means you're moving ahead, but a book forward is spelled F-O-R-E-W-O-R-D. It's a before word, for word. But that right there, oh my gosh, talk about raising a red flag. I think, oh my, this person doesn't understand, you know, terms that are so commonly used in the book industry at all. But make sure you get your terms right what you're looking for is a forward, not a preface. Now, I already sent you, Melanie, and I sent you an email with this, with some examples of how to ask for forwards or endorsements. Matter of fact, I sent you a copy of one I just recently received from my friend, Michael Hyatt. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll just read it to you. You know, a lot of you out there, I know are authors and you're looking for, you know, gee, how do you get somebody to do an endorsement or a forward for your book. Now, for one thing, it's going to be really rare that I would do an endorsement or a forward for somebody that I didn't already know in some form or fashion. So if somebody's active in 48days.net or has been to one of our events, yeah, certainly, you know, that puts you in the driver's seat in terms of getting a forward or endorsement from me. But you ought to take that approach. I mean, it's hard to approach people who don't know your name, anything you've done at all. It's pretty difficult. Are there people who will provide endorsements almost regardless? Yes. I won't mention any names, but, but a lot of people, I mean, even, I mean, I do a lot of endorsements and in many ways, I don't know how that book is going to sell. I don't know how well it's going to do, but it's just another way to get my name out there. So it's a very legitimate, effective, continuing marketing method for those of us who are already in the writing space. So yeah, there are people you can send your book to and you'll get an endorsement you know, that they, they, they won't crack the book. They won't open the book, but they'll give a generic endorsement just because they, that's what they're doing. Just getting their name out there as well. Now that's not typically what I do, but here's what I got from my friend, Michael Hyatt. And of course oh, I do know Michael. I mean, we're, we're close friends. So it's certainly not going to be unexpected that I would get a note from him, but he says, Dan, I'm writing to ask if you would consider endorsing my next book. It's called Living Forward, a proven plan to stop drifting and get the life you want. It'll be published by Baker Books in the spring of 2016. In a nutshell, this is a book about intentional living. My co-author, Daniel Harkavay, and I have a simple premise. When it comes to life, most people are spectators. They watch events unfold a day at a time. They may plan their careers, the building of a new home, or even a vacation, but it never occurs to them to plan their life. And then he goes on and explains what they're doing in living forward. So I've got just a short couple paragraphs that explains exactly what the book is about. If you're up for it, I'll need your endorsement by Friday, August 14th. Please include exactly how you want your name to appear along with the title or any other identifier. 
By the way, here are a few other endorsements I've already received. So he showed me I already had endorsements from John Maxwell and Dave Ramsey and a couple other people who I know as well. So if you're going to somebody that you know, sure, just ask them. Not uncommon. You don't need to pay them, reward them. Nothing. You just ask them, especially if it's somebody who's already a writer themselves, the very legitimate expected kind of process, but then tell them briefly what's there. Now, because of what Michael told me about the book, I could have written endorse an endorsement without ever seeing the book. He did attach the manuscript if I wanted to see the whole thing. And frankly, I do. I'm one of those rare ones. I do ask for the entire manuscript if I'm going to provide an endorsement and I'll even give you my rule of thumb. I mean, if I'm, if I'm going to do an endorsement for a book, I dedicate 30 minutes to scan in the manuscript and do an endorsement 30 minutes. If I'm going to do a forward three hours, two to three hours, that's what I do. So it's not taking up a whole lot of time. And I do keep that time open on Monday afternoon. I'm not asking you to send me your work. Believe me, I've got plenty coming in, but that's a process that I've been involved in. Anybody who's an author is very used to that process. And we certainly help each other in this process. You know, when I, when I look at that, now think about that for a minute. Some people would say, aren't you endorsing a book? That's a comp that's competition to 48 days to the work you love, where I talk about how to plan your life, how to set goals, how to find your purpose and passion, turn that into meaningful daily work. You know, that never even crossed my mind. When I see a book like this, Living Forward, a proven plan to stop drifting and get the life you want. My gosh. I mean, I hope they rock and roll with that book, Michael and Daniel. I mean, I, I don't see that as competition. I see that as another effective way to help people in the same way that I'm trying to serve them. And if they got a great book, absolutely, I'll endorse it. Get it out there. Now, I did, I, I, every once in a while, I'm asked to do a forward by a publisher. Jamie Tardy, when her book, The Eventual Millionaire came out, her publisher asked if she could get me to do the forward. And I was happy to do that because I know Jamie, know and love, you know, Jamie with her podcast, The Eventual Millionaire. So I was delighted to do that. But I got, got a couple books recently that have to do with life planning, finding work that's meaningful and so on, where the publishers ask if I would write those forwards. And typically they pay a dollar a word. I mean, that's just kind of, I mean, it's something that's not going to be high on my radar. I still have to really believe in the book to do it, to dedicate that time doing it, but they do pay. So if I write a thousand word forward, which would be pretty typical thousand word forward, it's going to be a thousand bucks to do that. That comes from the publisher. Okay. Now this, this is, this is a cute question here. This comes from Adam who says, I want a guilt-free Tesla. I was feeling depressed the other day about how life wasn't working very well right now. And I decided to go do something and change my mental state. So I called up a Tesla dealership and test drove one of their vehicles. I was left smiling for two days. I would like to buy this car, but I feel guilty for setting a goal to own something so materialistic when I could buy an investment property or give the money to charity. Also, my current financial situation shows little or no hope of such a purchase. If you were in my shoes, starting from scratch, how would you know it is okay to treat yourself on that level? Well, Adam, I love your question. Absolutely love your question. Um, <laughs> and it's right up my alley because I'm a car guy. The first Tesla I ever saw on the road, I was driving in a car with Michael Hyatt, Michael and Gail and Joanne 
our, our Michael and again, our wives were with us. We were attending the Brendan Bouchard event, his uh, uh, Experts Academy event in California. And we had taken off. I said, man, let's go find a place on the beach to eat dinner. So we, I, I had a rental car, so we were cruising down the road. And I pulled up beside something. I said, oh, my gosh, what is that? I slowed down. It was a Tesla. Now, Teslas are out. They're 2015 model year, so they're brand new. I love the story. I love the success. Elon Musk developing that car. It's all electric, but they have screaming, screaming demon power in spite of being electric. So they're really a phenomenon and getting a lot of attention. We have a brand new Tesla dealership right here, about two miles from where I live. Uh, and, and yeah, it's a cool kind of thing. However, they are, you know, they, they're going to be 70 to $75,000 right now because they're brand new. I would never buy one no matter how much I wanted one because of the depreciation. And at this point, it's pretty unknown what the depreciation is going to look like because it is a brand new car line. We don't know what they're going to be worth five years from now. We don't know if they're going to hold their value, go up in value or drop like a rock. So it's very unpredictable. So you would have to be in a really strong place financially to justify getting one. I mean, I certainly would, and, and it's just not going to happen. I don't buy cars in that kind of price range, period. But now here's, can, can you drive a nice car and still feel good about it and still feel like you aren't being materialistic, still give to charity? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I do a lot in the car space because right now I'm bidding on three Corvettes on eBay just because it's fun. It's a time of year. I'm ready for something new, but here's the deal. I buy cars because I understand cars. I, here's my principle for buying cars. I'm always ready, but never in a hurry. That means that I'm ready to buy a car at any given time if the right deal presents itself, but I never go out. I mean, it, it just confounds me you know, driving around on Sunday afternoon and here's a clown in front of a dealership, you know, waving arms and you think, oh, okay, here's a family just coming home from church, but, oh, we're just going to whip into the dealership and, you know, and spend $40,000 on a car. I mean, that's a ridiculous way to buy a car. I know what I'm looking at. I've done my research. I've done my homework. I know the market, know what's a good deal. What is not. I research. I may look for a car for three months. I mean, I've been looking at Corvettes for probably a couple months. I'm not in a big hurry at all. I don't have to have one, but when the right deal comes along, I'll get one. And here's the other, the rest of the story. I'll drive that sucker for a year, sell it and make money because I negotiate the best deal I can on the front end. Always prepared to pay for it, you know, so I'm not at the mercy of somebody because they're going to set up financing. I've never had a car payment in my life. That's another part of this deal. Another thing, you know, I mean, so I don't look at a car as a depreciating asset. I buy the kind of cars that have classics, have a lot of value, hold their value. I buy them, buy them right, drive them, have a lot of fun, take care of them, sell them and make money. And I've done that year after year after year for as long as I can remember. Uh, now, are there times when, you know, I just break even or lose a little? Yeah, I'm sure there are, but not many. I mean, for the most part, I drive nice cars because it's something that I enjoy doing. But now here's the, here's another thing. I would never spend more than one month's income on a car. Now, I know you hear all kinds of stories out there, but you know, it, it always just, you know, slays me when I hear somebody calling into my buddy, Dave Ramsey and they say, yeah, you know, we 
bought this car before we started listening to you. Well, what do you owe in your car? Well, we owe $38,000, you know, left that we owe in your car. Okay, what's your annual income? Well, I make $32,000 a year. I think you got to be kidding me. You owe more on a car than you make annually? I mean, that is a scenario that I cannot get my head around in any way or at all. For one thing, you know, to finance it. But even if you purchased it outright to, I mean, if you think about it in those terms, it really takes on kind of a new feel. Think about spending more on a car than what you make in a year. I mean, I would never in a, never, never, never going to do that. You know, I would never spend more than one month's income on a car. Now, obviously, depending on what your income is, I mean, that's going to vary as to what kind of car that would merit. But I think that's a good rule of thumb personally. And again, I obviously I promote the idea of having cash in hand. So you don't have to finance it. So you don't then have a car and you risk perhaps owing more on it than what the car is worth. And golly, that's got to be a sinking feeling. I mean, I know it is. I talk to people like that all the time, but just don't let yourself get in that position. So by golly, if you can go in there, Adam, and you can pull out of your pocket the cash to buy that Tesla, and it's no more than one month's income, and you can continue giving faithfully, responsibly, doing the other things in your life you need to do, then do it and enjoy it. I mean, I have friends who have Maseratis and Ferraris and Lamborghinis, and they've used that same principle, the formula that I'm talking about, where it's certainly not more than a month's income for them. They just happen to have pretty high income, but you can have fun with that. I mean, if you make $3,000 a month, you know, I've got a little car right now that I just bought for somebody to drive a little Suzuki wagon. Man, the thing's just like brand new. I paid 2,500 bucks for it. Um, I mean, it's just a jewel of a little car and the power of doing a little research, having the money in hand, and you can have a lot of fun with that. So if you can buy that baby and not have to finance it, that would be a big key. If you have to finance it, yeah, you ought to feel guilty. But if you could do it in the way that I've talked about, hey, have a lot of fun with it. Well, if you need just kind of a quick recap, if you've been without work for a long time, get out there, do something to break the cycle of losing. I mean, I had a lady one time where her husband walked out. She had four little kids wasn't a good candidate to go get a job. Didn't have really marketable skills. I had her go to Walmart, buy a bucket and a squeegee. She started going up and down Nolensville road, main business road here in Nashville, washing windows and found that she could effectively make 50 to $60 an hour. with One of her little kids helping her washing windows. She did that. I thought she'd do that for a week until we figured out a plan. She did it for about eight months because it was so stinking profitable until she then got into real estate and became a very successful real estate agent. But just get in the game if you need to do that. Do things to break that cycle of fear and doubt. Hey, remember our quotation for today? Imagination is more important than knowledge. That's the way it is. Well, hey, the time flies by as always. This is a great time of year. You know, we're here in September. Great time of year to start planning. This life is We've got an event coming up here shortly where the theme is going to be Come As You'll Be Five Years These From Now. I want people to talk about what their life is going to be like five years from now. You want to be a New York Times best-selling author? Bring me the book cover. If you want to be on the front cover of Success Magazine, do a mock-up and bring it in. Tell us what your life is going to be like. 
But then also with that, I've got some hard questions for this group, like, will make it, will making your business bigger make your life better? So it's not just about more. It's about how do you make your life better? And be planning. Be planning right now what you want 2016 to look like. Now's a great time. Identify the success you want in those seven different areas of life. Not just career and finances, but other areas physically, spiritually, socially, personal development, family. Look at those things. Identify now. This would be the ideal. This is what I'm moving toward because when you start clarifying what you're moving toward, you'll be amazed. It's like dominoes start to fall down as doors start opening to make that a reality for you. Well, I know you're one of those. Not content with mediocrity. You are working toward being the best that God has put in you. I commend you on that. Thanks for being part of this community where we, in fact, are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. It's gonna take all you've got.